Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale August 21st, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week we run you through all the new comics that are on sale, the print issues, digital stuff, the collections, uh, stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited. It's a very exciting time. Uh, we got good books this week. Tucker, how's it going? It's going good. Um, uh, I uh, My brain is completely just... Distracted now by the fact that our picks this week are all like directly all in a row. Yep. They literally are all in a row. I don't know if we ever had that before. And now uh, a little bit of damp, 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 because I've decided to call those four books the danger zone. Yeah. And we're uh, we're on a highway there. We're always on a highway. To How are you danger doing? Zone. I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, we're going to get into the books in one second. But one thing that we talked about um, and I'll, I'll have mentioned it on this week in Marvel. We talked about it on Marvel Live is in first print copies of Absolute Carnage yeah. number one. 20 issues have, each one has a different original sketch. I can't, I barely even call it a sketch because it's a the beautiful drawing yeah. by Mark Bagley, one of the legendary Marvel Comics artists. So there are 20 of these floating around. We sort of let it simmer for a while, for a couple weeks, and then now announced it. So like some people don't even like pay attention because it's the... <laughs> interior back cover of your copy of Absolute Carnage number one first printing. Yeah. So there's only 20 of these. I've only seen one so far. Right. And that was posted up on Twitter uh, yesterday uh, with the hashtag Carnage Rules, mm -hmm. uh, which is what we're asking people to do. If you have one, post it up because most people here have not seen them yeah. because Mark drew them and then we sent them off. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was in a meeting yesterday with a bunch of the comic book editors and they were talking about this and how cool it was. And they were talking about like the actual logistical challenge of having to go because like they literally sent one to the printer to make sure that these 20 were like like interspersed so that they would go out and just yeah. be like flung out to who knows where in the world. Uh, it's so cool. And, and they were actually talking about like, we did this, like, this happened a little while ago, and we still haven't seen anything. We're, like, t so curious about where they ended up. It's such a fun idea. Yeah, some may be still in comic shops. Yeah. Some may be, like, in somebody's long box, and <laughs> they just put it away and didn't realize it. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, if you guys have them, please check your copies of Absolute Carnage number one. And you never know what other surprises we put in our comics. So mm. by print. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's kick things off, though. All right, let's do it. And speaking of Absolute Carnage, we're starting with Absolute Carnage versus Deadpool number one. Absolute Carnage continues to spread across the Marvel Universe. And this issue is written by Frank Thierry with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Roberto Poggi, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, this, you know, as I was reading this, it just felt like this is the perfect Frank Thierry comic in a way. Like, even just the assignment is so perfect because, you know, it has his his perfect brand of humor, but it's also his perfect brand of, like, horror and kind of more, like, intense action and, and things like that. Uh, this is the first of a couple Deadpool books this week, and both of which I really, really enjoyed. I thought there was great stuff. And this is right off the back of, of some big Deadpool news. Um, yeah. If you're listening to this, that will have just come out last week. Uh, but for us, it's just out you know, less than 24 hours ago about Kelly Thompson and Chris Bashalo taking over a new Deadpool ongoing series. Could not be more excited about that. Frank wrote... Um, I don't know, maybe about a month ago, Frank wrote a Web of Venom story, Cult of Carnage. And it, it was really interesting to see that kind of be almost like a patient zero kind of story. Uh, that was really the early kind of 
uh, rumblings of what Absolute Carnage now is. And this is full on now at this point chaos with so much influence uh, across the board. And of course, it's Deadpool. You know what I mean? It's Frank Thierry, who's like one of the funniest guys around. Uh, And it's great to see uh, that combination of like this giant near inescapable threat mixed in with, um, you know, of course, Deadpool perspective on anything. It's great. Heck yeah. But we got to keep going because we got to talk about Daredevil number 10. This is a good one. Uh, It is written by Chip Zdarsky, uh, who uh, did you know, Tucker? He has a newsletter out. I immediately signed up. He yeah. tweeted his first tweet about it, and I went and immediately signed up. It is a delight. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, with art by Jorge Fordenes, uh, with colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Wow. Uh, Got to give big shouts right up top to Jorge and to Clayton. Yeah. Um, there's uh, – and Jordi, too, because the, the art and the lettering here working so well. There's a lot of scenes where we are – seeing Daredevil's radar sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of scenes inside a police station. Most of the issue takes place inside a police station where we're following Matt and there's a lot of use of shadow and like specific line work. And it's really, really cool. And then on top of that, you're getting that sense of Daredevil's uh, heightened hearing and the lettering in those places because it's it evokes the way he sort of hears things. Mm-hmm. It's sort of not in a a caption or a word balloon or whatever. It's sort of around him. And it's the lettering does such a great job of evoking that sense of it's not just it's not normal. Yeah. Uh, And you get a sense of how Matt deals with things. Uh, There's issues got so much tension and drama. It's got crooked cops. It's got Matt's libido out of control. (laughs) Uh, Vicious fight, surprise guests, some really cool stuff in here. Uh, It is gorgeous. One of my favorite issues of the run so far. Uh, next up, we have Deadpool Annual number one. This is uh, one of our Acts of Evil books, uh, a bunch of these great annuals. This one's written by Dana Schwartz. Uh, Dana's a, a great author. Um, you might have, I'm kind of always reading her Twitter and stuff. She's so funny and so great. Uh, so it's perfect match here. Riley Brown is on pencils. Inks are by Nelson DeCastro with Craig Young. Colors by Matt Herms with Guru EFX and letters are by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, this is a really fun little, uh, like perfect kind of one-off story idea. It's essentially a kid has hired Deadpool to kill his nightmares, to take care of of his essentially like the the so-called like monster in the closet in a way. Um, it's not just that he's hired Deadpool. He has sent like 200 letters to Squirrel Girl yeah, yeah. and like two letters to Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. Deadpool's the one who responded. Yeah. It's really, really funny. And it's so great. Yeah, there's a great uh, Squirrel Girl gag with this Squirrel Girl mask and everything. It's it's just really, really funny. I, I just love something like this where with any Deadpool story, it's it's a character that really can fit in anywhere and i love something like the absolute carnage versus deadpool story because it's just this tidal wave of you know super villainy coming at him and he just gets to swim around in that whereas in this one it's just like a very clean setup like kid contacts deadpool deadpool shows up knocks on the door and then kind of away we go should we say should we say who shows up we could say who shows yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Nightmare. Yeah, which I think is important because, yeah. it, it's again, it's one of those things we talk about. It's like... Nightmare is in the water. Yeah, it, and which is great. And it, uh, what I liked about it was that Deadpool was able to mess with Nightmare, but not punk out Nightmare. Right. Nightmare didn't feel like a joke. I, right. I More and more, I want to make sure... Like, I like seeing Nightmare as the legitimate threat he is and should be. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just such an awesome... 
it's just such an awesome idea for a villain yeah. that like you want to give it the the pedestal and the and the respect that it deserves. And and I completely agree. When I flip that page of nightmares, there's like. 2019 is a nightmare year. Yeah. Whoa. That's it. Ooh. That's Ooh. it. <laughs> Let's keep going on to Death's Head, number two, written by Teeny Howard, drawn by Kai Zama, colored by Felipe Sobrero, and lettered by VC's Travis Lanham. Uh, Kai is so friggin' good at the robot stuff. She worked on Transformer stuff before she came to us, and she has such a knack for doing these big, huge-scale robot action pieces, mm-hmm. uh, making things feel like metal but also adding humanity and depth to these metallic entities. So, you know, like there's like looks of panic or confusion on metal faces. There's one where Death's Head is like punching on another robot in the face. And it's like, you can, t- it's a robot, but it's like robot teeth are being knocked out. Right, and it's right. like agony in its face. It's really, really cool. But Kai also draws fleshy stuff so, so well. There's this really hilarious bit of Wiccan running in the background because his waffles are burning. (laughs) That just cracked me up so much. It was really fun. What we're finding in this issue is that Wiccan's been doing some multiversal, quote, magical self-googling, and he's (laughs) come across Dr. Evelyn Necker and the swoopy-haired, sexy vest version of Death's Head uh, in a couple of places in, like, alternate reality, things where he and uh, Hulkling... Like sometimes they have better paths, you know, in different realities. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have different ones. Sometimes they're like more Avengers again. He wants to be an Avenger again, wants to be important and doing cool stuff. So he found this Death's Head and Dr. Necker in the main Marvel Universe, finds that this Death's Head is in a lab and he steals Death's Head. He named him V uh, because it's like version 5.0. Mm-hmm. And then you know, on we go. The issue has, you know, a bunch of Death's Head fighting. It brings in Kate Bishop, includes weird, scary robot, like, torture scenes, and lets everyone team up. It is super great. I love, love, love this book. Totally. Uh, next up, we have Fearless number two. And this one has a few stories in it. We have the first one is called Campire Song Part two. That's written by Shauna McGuire with art by Claire Rowe, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. The next one is called Night Nurse, a cape of her own. That's written by Carla Pacheco with art by Yolanda Zarfordino and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And the last one is X23. That's written by Eve Ewing with art by Aletha Martinez, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters throughout are by Cardinal Ray. I really, really, I love this first story first and foremost because it's just a beautiful, wonderful balance of like great superhero action. But at the same time, a lot of what I loved about this week's comics were the quieter moments. There was just a lot of great heart and humanity and, you know, the moments where we're not breaking through panels and, and, and fighting, you know, in outer space and, and all this stuff. It's where it's really just about friends and family and connection in that way. And that's what really what this first story does for me. You know, we know that Shannon is like one of the most clever writers out there and she can really do anything. There's real depth to her, to every one of her stories. And this was something really different for me. It was just a bunch of great conversation and it really spoke to the power of these of these women, of these superheroes, and about what they mean in a generational sense, about the the presence they have, not just in a cosmic sense with Captain Marvel or, you know, in a, a kind of, you know, in a godly sense with Storm, but just in a human sense, just in a way that really is impactful for a lot of people. And then the next one, the Night Nurse story, which is so much fun. Night Nurse, 
what era did Night Nurse really uh, emerge in? We just talked about uh, the first Night Nurse issue. I think it was 73. Oh, okay. That was on This Week in Marvel History recently. It was 73 or 76, somewhere in there, right. which was a follow-up to Linda Carter, Student Nurse, uh, <laughs> which was a 60s book, if I remember correctly. Huh. Yeah, it, it's wild. And there were three women who end up using the Night Nurse moniker, right. but right. Linda is the most famous, like, She'll show up in Doctor Strange comics yeah. much later on. Uh, Bendis used her a bunch. Um, she's really cool. Yeah, it's really, really awesome to see this story, to see Night Nurse in the spotlight a little bit. I think Night Nurse is one of those characters that has a lot of mystique to her because she, she like the moments when she pops up are very selective and things like that. At least that's what it is in my mind. And and uh, so it was really fun to get just like a fistful of this character um, right here. And you here. get Sleepy Stegron. Yeah. Which made me so happy. <laughs> yeah. oh, I just want to cuddle that, up with him. When was the last time... We saw Stegron? Yeah. Uh, it Moon wasn't Girl? too long ago. It was like a, a year or two ago or a couple months. Yeah. It hasn't been that long. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the, the, the third story is an X-23 story. Yeah, you're story. right. I think it was Moon Girl. Yeah. You're right. That was feels, really recently. Feels right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one is, is uh, an X-23 story, which is written by Eve Ewing. And honestly, this one just left me like, oh, like- Eve is meant to write X-23 yeah. as well. Like, 100%. Yeah, so good. I mean, Rick Tamaki- the dang greatest. I want her to write X23 forever, but now I also want Eve to write X23 forever. Yeah. I just <laughs> so want good. three. I want Tom, Eve, and Mariko yeah. oh, to man. just take turns writing yeah. stories. Yeah, you're right. For X23 and Scout. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tucker, we are now in the. Oh, yeah. Uh, danger zone. Damp. We're in the danger zone now. <laughs> uh, first book is Ghost Spider, number one, written by Shauna McGuire with art by Takeshi Miyazawa. Colors by Ian Herring and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, this is my first pick of the week. Uh, look, if you are in, the, you know, if you're just like in the market to jump into a story about the artist formerly known as Spider Gwen, this is it. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea is that Gwen's identity is known in her universe, Earth 65. So she wants to go to school. She wants to have a real life. She wants some semblance of normalcy. So she also has the ability to travel between dimensions. So she knows Earth 616. She knows Peter Parker there. She knows that there's some... Like, it is a stable enough reality, yeah. and she goes there to go to college. She's going to go to Empire State University, where Peter teaches. I love how deeply nerdy Shauna gets with it, though. <laughs> like, having Peter Parker, a teacher there, help her get started. Having it established that Tony Stark has a scholarship program for aliens, dimensional travelers, clones, AI, and other students outside the norm. <laughs> it, it makes so much sense, though. Yeah. It's so clever. I yeah. love that. So, you know, when Gwen goes, she learns about the scholarship, and so she gets to you solve the problem of her not having any money mm -hmm. and not having like a job job. She also wants to still be able to fight crime. So she's going to be able to go back and forth. She still has her band, you know, that she's kind of crappy to, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, she like bounces on them all yeah. the time. But like, I love this idea of like setting the stage, building these two worlds for her to traverse between. Uh, Gwen also has a symbiote that helps her be all spidery. And we learned some really neat stuff about it in here. 
issue, super fun. It is poppy. It is, again, great world building, really cool threat setup that ties to her origins in Earth-65. It's a terrific first issue. Takeshi had been working on um, the Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider story with Shauna beforehand, so now it is a perfect pairing. Uh, if you have not read one of the Gwen Stacy, you know, Spider-Woman, Spider-Gwen stories, you can dive right into this. It yeah. gives you everything you need. Okay, next up is my first pick of the week, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy number eight. Uh, this is written by uh, one of the bad boys, Donnie Cates, with art by Corey Smith, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is uh, issue two of the second arc of this Guardians run. And oh boy, mm-hmm. grab your hankies, folks, oh, man. because it is a brutal issue <laughs> um we've been talking about this for a really really long time i remember we did like one of it might have been the first like time where we announced yeah. new comics on the pull list yep. where we 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 kind of showed off this this arc which was really going to dig into the backstory and where rocket raccoon is right now and where you know he's going to be moving forward you know he came in and popped in on the last page of uh, issue number seven uh and man he is in bad shape you, you can tell he's like gaunt he is like has this breathing apparatus that he needs he's like beaten and bloody and broken you know it's 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 a really rough time for rocket but this issue essentially tells the kind of backstory. It tells the life story of this character. It was, uh, and it's, you know, and you could just hear the conversation. You could just imagine the conversation going on between this entire creative team. of just like make rocket look as cute, helpless and sad as possible. Especially when we're talking about like baby rocket and everything, essentially when he became who he is and, you know, all of his, adjustments and like mechanical aspects and and like essentially when he became the character that we all know um well what's really interesting about this is that i feel i could be wrong the raccoon addicts out there Mm -hmm. could always correct me but i believe this is the first sort of definitive origin that combines the very disparate early stories that we have like we've we've hinted yeah he he, half world stuff happened and all this other stuff happened but like putting it in almost a timeline showing us him the like adventurer him hanging out with hulk him doing all these different things because the rocket of way back when he's evolved as a character yeah and various writers and, and artists have taken him in different directions uh like i remember we had I think we had envisioned him as having a British accent mm-hmm. for a long time. I think in Marvel versus Capcom 3, he has a British accent <laughs> because that was who uh, like the creators had envisioned him as. But as he's evolved, he's become more of this like smart alecky dude. Yeah. And sort of putting this all together, that's one of the things that Donnie's so great at. Yeah. And, like taking all the pieces of a mythology that are there and bringing it together cohesively. Completely. I, I mean, and reading this, I really thought of uh, Al Ewing's rocket run because it it really just gets to this this kind of dark tortured center of this character in a way that is so fascinating in a way that completely just gels with Donnie's you know you, what we now know are kind of what uh, Donnie loves to write and the how Donnie loves to explore characters and things like that so we're kind of jumping between the past and the present we get to see some exciting stuff about what Rocket's future might be or at least what his present is and you know how things have changed for him you know it's a family drama the guardians and so the 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 conversations between Peter and Groot and Rocket are super emotional but they're also you know 
that's what you want in this kind of dynamic because it's all there. The setup is all there. The framework is all there of Guardians and what, you know, a Guardians book is meant to be. So when you inject this level of emotion, it just it just heightens everything. Every character is brought to their best. And then the kind of last third of this issue, we go into a completely different direction, really, kind of now that we have Rocket on board back into the cosmos in a big way that is very exciting and really, really interesting and is going to, I think, really change this book moving forward. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about that issue before we go, Mm -hmm. it has an interaction between Lockjaw and Cosmo that was the best. It was like, absolutely, (laughs) give me all of that for like a dozen issues. It was so good. Uh, All right. Up next is my... Second pick of the week, it is History of the Marvel Universe number two. I mean, look, everybody get out of the way. Every time one of these issues comes out, I I can't help it. I'm going to pick it because it is like two of my favorite creators of all time, (laughs) Mark Wade and Javier Rodriguez, telling my favorite thing, which is Marvel history. Yeah. As I've spent the entire year diving into Marvel history on This Week in Marvel, I I've learned the more I get into it, the more I love it. Yeah. Well, and yeah. this is so much fun. This is what what we said when you picked History of the Marvel Universe 1 for your pick um, last time around is like, I'm imagining now this series, the panels in Guardians of the Galaxy number eight where like these like six surgeons are like operating on him and stuff, just sub out Rocket and put in a comic book. And then it's just like them creating the... <laughs> Agent M comic, like yeah, the like, really is. built in a lab, made to make you freak out. Comic yeah, book. yeah. Every week, it is so good. So yeah, again, uh, written by Mark Wade, pencils and colors by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, uh, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Man, I posted a picture of on my Instagram recently from this issue, and listener Dave, um, who's been listening to the shows for a long time, asked if the whole book is splash pages, and it isn't, but it kind of is. Right. At the same time, you yeah. know, Javi's art is just so magical and his layouts bring you into the book in ways a straight narrative comic rarely will except when he draws them because he does this even in more narratively focused you know like dialogue action books this is a story we're, we're, we're telling the story of the Marvel Universe, but it's different from, you know, telling a story of Ms. Marvel or, or the Avengers or whatever. Yeah. There's this double page spread that is uh, about early 20th century characters, including one of the faves that I want to see more of, uh, though I don't think we will. Journalist dude Ernst Erskine and his sunglass wearing mm-hmm. dog Barco. Uh-huh. Who appeared in maybe like three issues, but like that is how deep this this yeah. this book goes. Yeah, it pulls in like, oh, okay, these characters had a place. Let's put them in here. Then you have this double page spread of all these characters. You turn the page, and then there's a split page with the birth of the original Human Torch, which is like got vibes of Marvels mm-hmm. uh, on one side of the page, and then it's got the Ancient Ones, Good and Evil, Early Apprentices, uh, Mordo and Druid in this yin yangish type good and evil dark and light framing on the other side of that page and then the next page is this magical display of namor and human torch fighting and then working together i you have to give super credit to javier rodriguez because his namor in there is a younger name he looks younger the way right. he draws his face of course, Namor is the sexiest ever, but he like draws him a little bit younger and like still for like there's just something to it that is so 
special and there's such thought and care put into the the work here and then across this whole like first eight pages or so you have this like story of steve rogers building up uh because we're talking about the early 20th century and you know he like little panels that like are sprinkled throughout those pages this issue covers the first half of the 20th century the first issue covers so much more time-wise but mm-hmm. now like everything is building up and there yeah. are characters in here which I don't even think about very often because they were part of the quote-unquote lost generation. Right. Like there's this whole story that we did years ago about an entire generation of heroes that were wiped out in saving the planet from an alien invasion that no one remembers because Mm -hmm. they didn't have the decades of of saving the world that the Avengers have right, had or Captain right. America or you know whatever it's it's so cool this gets my highest possible recommendation forever and ever it it's so mind blowing like the, it is the work of something that can it, it can only be done by someone who has literally dedicated their lives to to this kind of stuff yeah. like that's the only way you can comprehend it to this level so awesome okay uh, next up is my second pick of the week and it's Magnificent Ms. Marvel, number six. Um, boom. The danger zone is really, it's its its dangerous. Um, it's This issue is written by Saladin Ahmed with pencils by Minkyu Jung, inks by Juan Velasco with Minkyu Jung, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. There's that Ian guy. Of course, he is one of the most crucial aspects of literally Kamala Khan history for me. His colors have added so much and such specificity and, and you know, really why I love this issue so much and why why it's one of my picks this week is because I think it shares something with what I'm talking about with Ian's colors. And that's like it's something quiet. It's something extraordinarily personal. And ultimately, it just feels like original run first two, three arcs of G. Willow Wilson written uh, Ms. Marvel when this character first got her own series and the origin story first started to emerge. You know, a lot of very apt comparisons in my mind to uh, the Peter Parker origin story with how beautifully succinct it is, with how immediately you understand this character. And Ian's colors have always been such a crucial element of telling that story, of telling this kind of I don't want to say small town, but it's just incredibly personal, family level, Jersey City vibe about it all. Because it is a lot of this issue here takes place just in a room, just in conversation between Kamala and her family. She's been through a lot and her family has been through a lot, unlike ever before in these first five or six issues, going to outer space, encountering alien races, doing so much. Where we are now is all of that has kind of come out the other end. And Kamal's parents, who did find out about her superhero identity, have now lost that information somewhere in this big cosmic journey. And on top of that, Kamala's father is sick. Uh, So all of that combined is just a gut-wrenching, beautiful issue that deals with these issues in in a gorgeous way, but in a way that is so specific to Kamala because she's a superhero. She's one of our favorite heroes. She is this uh, 
you know, time and space leaping, super powered person. But at the end of the day, she's still a person. It's been a huge roller coaster ride. I'm loving where this series is going now because, um, you know, we, we got that first arc. It was this big something new, something different with obviously the, the core principles of this character there together. But now that we're really starting to hit the groove, it's, uh, you can really feel it. It's great stuff. Yeah. There's a really great Iron Man scene in there. Yes. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Uh, Marvel Comics Presents number eight is up next. And of course, we have three stories up in here. Uh, the first one is written by Charles Soule, pencils by Dio Neves, inks by Oren Jr., colors by Frank Darmana, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is the uh, eighth part of our Wolverine The Vigil storyline. And this one, Wolverine and his daughter Rian go to hell. Mm-hmm. <sighs> they go to hell in order to find and destroy the truth. Uh, but there's this really great moment I love. The moment when Wolverine has to knock on the door of hell. He yeah. like, taps it with his claw. And the the door to hell opens. And a demon says, Ah, oh, Mr. Logan, welcome. Will you be joining us this evening? <laughs> it's just so fun. It's, it's so good. It's so creepy. I uh, really love Dio's like demon designs. They're weird and they're creepy and varied. There's one with like all these eyes. There's a tentacle one. There's like this blobby one. Neat stuff. The story gets nasty, nasty, nasty by the end. Uh, the conclusion is coming next issue. There's a Spider-Woman story. That's our second one in here. It is written by Ethan Sachs, art by Marco Castiello, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one uh, mixes social media problems with identity issues. It's real neat. And, of course, Ethan being a newsboy, yep. that includes some uh, journalism stuff in there. And finally, the third story is a white fox story that gives a whole bunch more info about her background and secret identity. It is written by Emily Ryan Lerner with art by Michael Shelfer, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Awesome. Next up, we have Marvel's Spider-Man City at War number six. This is written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with pencils by Michele Bandini, inks by Michele Bandini and Elisabetta D'Amico, uh, and letters throughout by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, this story takes us through some of, oh my God, I, like I'm three <laughs> issues in a row. I forgot where, where it's just like relentless emotion, family drama, so much stuff. This takes us through uh, the end of this limited series, which of course tells the amazing, perfect, wonderful, awesome tale of Marvel Spider-Man uh, for PlayStation 4, but with some different angles and some different perspectives on it. The, I love to see that story come home in this way because it plays beautifully through this comic. The drama really hits home, not just in terms of Spidey doing his superhero Spideyness, but with everything going on with Aunt May, and then some great back matter that gives you some really, really awesome um, uh, uh, inside looks at the game and the making of all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Up next is Powers of Ten. Oh, man. Number three. Wow. Uh, so it's a reminder, if you if you think we go house, then powers, house, then powers, we do mix it up a little bit. Yeah. So Powers of Ten, number two came out last week. Powers of Ten, number uh, three is this week. House of X, number three, is next week. Mm-hmm. So you guys are not out of order. Everything's going fine. This is just the reading order. There is that reading order in the back of each issue just to make sure you... Don't feel like you're missing something. Yeah. Uh, so this one is written, of course, by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva, colors by Marte Gracia with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles and designed by Tom Muller. This one has Apocalypse versus Nimrod. 
Uh, Wolverine and the others, they make huge sacrifices in this issue. I really can't talk much about yep. too many things. Uh, we get, you know, of course, these two powers issues back to back, but you'll realize why we did that by the end of this issue and how important these two stories telling these powers of 10 tales are, are crucial to then getting back to what we've been building into with the House of X stuff. How does this one play into the 10 lives of Moira McTaggart? Ooh, you'll see. Uh, just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous work by Arby and Marte. I think this is, I think this run is going to have everyone go, oh, Marte Gracia is one of the best colorists in the biz. Oh, right. Arby Silva is really like superstar yeah. artist. Yeah, it's phenomenal stuff. Completely. Uh, okay, next I have Savage Sword of Conan, number eight. This is written by Jim Zub with art by Patch Zercher, colors by Javatar Taglia, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Reading this, I'm just reminded that like it must be the most fun writing assignment in the world to write Conan. I think of that because I think of Jim Zub. I know Jim Zub's just like absolute adoration, love, relentless joy for comics. So the ability to dig into this character, this heightened tone, the places and things that Conan can do that no other character can do, and the way that he says things, the way that he goes about solving problems is just the best. This is really fun because this is part two of Conan the Gambler, and it feels like Conan has kind of been cooped up a little bit he's forced to sit at a table he's forced to kind of play cards he's forced to kind of stay his hand a little bit throughout the the last issue uh and a half maybe but when it lets loose it all lets loose and oh man is it so much fun uh it's essentially just like conan versus a tavern slash casino <laughs> full of baddies the way the action is rendered is absolutely gorgeous and where we end up makes me think of return of the jedi <laughs> You'll understand when yep. you read it. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. All right, up next, uh, we're getting into our double dose of Star Wars with Star Wars Dr. Afra number 35, written by Simon Spurrier. Pencils by Andrea Bercardo. Inks by Mark Deering and Scott Hanna. Colors by Chris O'Halloran. And letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, man, Joe's working hard this week. Yeah. Uh, if this series does not end, whenever it ends, if it does not end with Afra and Tolvin riding off into the sunset together, I will be very cross yeah. with everyone who is involved with Star Wars comics. Yeah, I'm going to freak out. I'm looking at you, Matt Martin. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Mark Paniccia. I'm looking at everybody. Yep. Just putting that out there. Yep. Uh, but whenever that end comes, I hope it is not for a while. But for now, they they have another ending. They've had like four endings in the past like <laughs> two years. Like the things come together and then yeah. it falls apart. They ha they end on a very bittersweet note in here. But Afra's off and she's meeting with the head of the Empire's propaganda and misinformation group. Such a cool angle. So cool. So cool. Uh, it is a really cool part of the Empire, which I hope we see more of. I don't know how much that's ever been explored. Right. But it's really, really cool. Uh, it is twisty and it is evil and it is delicious. Totally. Uh, next up, we have Star Wars TIE Fighter number five. This is written by Jody Hauser with art by Rohe Antonio and Juan Gideon. Colors by Arif Prianto and Dono Sanchez Omaro with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is part five of five. This is the final issue of this limited series and it is so much 
fun. It's This is a pretty big spoilery issue in terms of how things end for a bunch of these characters and how, you know, how it's all dealt with. I will say it reminded me actually a lot of Rogue One in a way, mm. um, but kind of the flip side of, of things, looking at things from the Empire perspective. But, you know, looking at this entire series, it's so great and why I love Star Wars and why I love Jody Hauser's writing is because it's just a full-on commitment to the concept of, like, the gray area, you know, just dedicating the entire story to the quote-unquote bad guys and then, you know, digging in, seeing their humanity, seeing their struggle, seeing what, like, makes them pause – it just flips everything on its head. The colors are reversed. And when something good happens in this book, you're like, oh, but that's bad. But then when something bad happens and you feel it, you really feel it, you're like, oh, but, but wait, that's that's supposed to be good. Also, a great limited series from a visual perspective. I feel like it did a bunch of really daring, fun stuff and pulled it off really beautifully. Yeah. yeah. I, again, I don't know that I ever remember seeing you know, pilots in the Star Wars universe with just the outline of their helmets to show so you that cool. they're wearing them. Yeah. But so that you can see their reactions, which is such a smart storytelling so thing. So cool. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, all right. Up next is Superior Spider-Man number 10, written by Christos Gage, pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This connects to spider Excuse me. This connects to Spider Garden, mm-hmm. as you can see by the cover, which features the six-armed Norman Osborn Spider-Man. So uh, there's a little bit. It feels spoilery, but it's on the Ding Dang cover. Yep. So you're gonna buy the book, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, he's in this book. He is." Uh, that's <laughs> part of what's going on. It's a really cool attempted dismantling of all that's auto that everything that Otto has put together for himself in San Francisco, um, that is what Norman's all about. Mm-hmm. And it ties into their interactions in spider Garden. Uh, it's bolstered by strong supporting cast. Of I course. missed that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, I have to do it. It's the only way I can legally say yeah. the, the, those words. Yeah. Uh, Otto gets some smooches in here, has some sad moments, but like pushes ahead Thanks uh, in large part to Martin Modell and Anna Marie Marconi and others. I, I really love the world building that Christos has done with Otto here. Like It feels so different from every other Spider-Man book, and I really, really loved it. Totally. Okay, last book for me this week is Tony Stark, Iron Man, number 15. This is written by Dan Slott and Jim Zub with art by Juan and Ramirez, with Francesco Mana, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Also, special shout-out to Rod Rice for a really cool cover on this one. This issue is really fun because it feels like... Um uh, it feels like the fallout of a lot of what we've seen in this series before really coming back around and uh, hitting home for Tony in a bunch of different ways, talking personally, talking professionally. We've gotten to kind of explore new areas of Tony's life, um, whether that's like deep inside Stark Industries, getting to know some supporting characters in there, whether it's with his relationship with the Wasp, whether it's relationship with Rhodey, things like that. All of it comes back uh, around in a really cool way in this issue that felt very climactic and really dramatic and almost operatic at times. I don't know. It feels very perfect, low moment Tony Stark. 
because he is a character that lives and thrives and breathes on this kind of boisterous, like blustering and, and like chest puffed out kind of energy. And so it's always fun to explore where he goes in his darker moments or how he reacts when things are kind of up against him. And, and this issue does that in a big way. I love also where we're going now with this and that's leading to huge, huge, huge things moving forward. Um, uh, yeah, really, really excited for everything going on in Tony Stark Iron Man. Yeah. All right. Last book for us to talk about this week is Valkyrie Jane Foster. Number two, Man, this is one of the most gorgeous books on yeah. the stands. This is nearly one of my picks. Uh, this is part two of The Sacred and the Profane, written by Jason Aaron and Al Ewing with art by Kafu, colors by Jesus Arpertov, letters and production by VCs Joe Sabino. Man, oh man. Um, so uh, talk about the the look. Kafu just crushing it. Like I, I look at R.B. Silva and Kafu mm-hmm. as two artists. Kafu's done a lot of work, just hasn't done a lot for us up until right. now. And like these are just stars on the rise. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at the agonizing pain of a dying Heimdall or the sinister madness of Bullseye and terrifying danger. He's going up against gods and he is toe to toe and he is ferocious and murderous and so dangerous. It's such a he is A-list and scary yeah, and yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Uh, to Jane's power and fury as Valkyrie, everything looks so cool. The touches of the world, the weapons, her powers, the horse, everything looks incredible in here. Most of the issue is Valkyrie versus Bullseye, and Bullseye is wielding Dragonfang. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, Valkyrie, previous Valkyrie, Brunhild, her weapon, and it is a magical weapon. It is a storied, legendary weapon that actually makes whomever wields it deadlier with weapons. So right. you're taking one of the most dangerous people with anything and then giving him something that makes him more dangerous. It is terrifying. The ending is so cool. It is another bittersweet ending, but it is beautiful. Yeah. Love, love, love this book. And it's just a reminder for me, um, if you're excited, if you're out there and you're excited about uh, Jane Foster, if you're excited about Jane Foster uh, as Thor uh, wielding the hammer, all of that, that is straight from the mind of Jason Aaron and this book is the vanguard of that times five into the future moving forward like this is where it's all happening this is where new earth is being forged from the fiery volcanic mind of Jason Aaron yeah uh, okay, that wraps it up. It sounded like either a cat squealing or a guitar. <laughs> so you, you choose. Yeah, you pick. Uh, uh, that wraps it up for individual issues on sale this week. Uh, now moving on to collections, we have Age of X-Men, Next Gen, Age of X-Men, The Marvelous X-Men, Fantastic Four Epic Collection, The Mystery of the Black Panther, Hawkeye, Private Eye, Marvel 2-in-1, Masterworks Volume 4, uh, Meet the Scrolls. So good. So good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had a, I hesitated wanted yeah, to okay. say that. Oh well, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't read it, it's in trade. Get it, get it, get it, get it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, then we have Star Wars Volume Eleven: The Scourging of Show to Run. Uh, Star Wars: Age of Rebellion Villains. Thor and Loki: Blood Brothers Gallery Edition. War of the Realms: Strike Force and X Men: Grand Design Extinction. Also, so terrific. Oh yeah, a little bit oversized. Beautiful. Mwah. Lovely, lovely comics. Uh, all right, there's a bunch of stuff on all the apps, but most importantly, I wanted to talk about Marvel Unlimited. There's a lot of uh, backfill stuff in here uh, that included. There's a bunch of issues of Marvel Premiere from the 70s, issues four through 14, uh, which is key. These issues, I believe are predominantly if not all of them are uh the doctor strange run by Englehart and uh steve Englehart and frank brunner uh which they kill ancient one in there mm. it's like one of the like lauded 
runs of Doctor Strange, which leads into another Doctor Strange run. But this is Marvel premiere was sort of like testing the waters for different characters. Like in issue 15, which is already on Marvel Unlimited, is the first appearance of Iron Fist. And then a couple issues later, he gets his own book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Adam Warlock gets the reboot from him at the beginning of Marvel premiere. And then he gets his own book. Uh, So this was Doctor Strange, like figuring it out and then like going. It's really good. Uh, So those issues. And then we have a bunch of issues of Marvel Presents from 1975. These are uh, the original Guardians of the Galaxy actually getting their own story. So it's, you know, the stuff that influenced all the other Guardians of the Galaxy, the original Yondu, and all that other stuff happening here for the first time, uh, which is really cool. There's um, some Age of X-Men stuff in here. Avengers No Road Home starts Mm -hmm. on Marvel Unlimited this week, so um, you're going to get those 10 issues every week going forward. Uh, There's that great Age of Republic Count Dooku story and plenty more uh, in Marvel Unlimited. We'll have the list for you on Marvel.com. And uh, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.